Amen. Man, it's a great day to be in the house of the Lord this morning, and I'm excited that, that, that you are here. Um, man, worthy is the Lamb. And just stop for just a second. Think of, I said, it says, I sing your praise for all that you've done for me. You stop thinking about all that Jesus has done for you, all that Jesus has done for us, and we can't help but praise and worship Him. Uh, if you look in your, your bulletin, you have a tear out there. Uh, this is for anyone that wants to participate on Wednesday night suppers or for our guests. We're especially excited that you're here with us this morning. And we'd love for you to fill out this and give us a little bit of information, let us know who you are, how we can best minister to you. Um, but right now, I want to take this time just to, to greet each other. And so find someone, let them know that, that you're excited that they are in, at Northside in the house of the Lord this morning. Thank you. 
for all the many blessings that you've bestowed upon us. Just ask that you would just take these tithes and offerings to further your kingdom. In your heavenly and gracious name, amen.
kids come on down right here in front of this table and we'll slide it out a little bit and have a seat for me I'll, I'll pick it up where you can see it I promise okay how are y'all doing today good awesome all right well this is you okay 
Yeah, this is you. Yeah, okay, it's water. You're right. But I'm going to make this represent you for right now. Okay? And this, can anybody tell me what this might represent? Sin. That's right. What is sin? Right. Anything that displeases God. Very good. Have we all sinned? Yes, everybody. So you're not this pretty clear glass of water anymore, are you? No. Everybody in this room, including me, believe it or not, has sinned. Okay? So you get a little bit of sin. Eh, that's okay. But then you start doing a little bit more and a little bit more. And it keeps going, keeps going. And look, you don't look so pretty anymore, do you? No. It's kind of dirty. Wow. Well, how do we fix this? So we got all the sin over here, and now that sin's starting to go into our lives a little bit, and it keeps going. Well, how do we fix it? Right. Through who? Can anybody read that? Jesus. That's right. So Jesus, oh, wait, just another glass of water, right? Oh, let's see. Not just any water. You sure? Is this holy water? Okay. <laughs> So, when Jesus comes into our lives and we ask him into our heart, what happens? He takes all that sin away. That's pretty cool, huh? See, all that that was dirty is not dirty anymore. He took care of all that sin, right? But there's so much sin in the world, how does he get rid of all of it? Right? Well, sin, uh, God, Jesus can take away all that sin. And I'm going to put the microphone down for just a second. And it remains clear. Okay? So I want you all to think about that. No matter where you are in your life, and you have a lot of sin in your life, you go to Jesus and you give him all your sin, and it's going to clear it up and take care of it for you. Okay, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, uh, we thank you for, for coming down and taking care of this sin for us. Um, Lord, we, all we have to do is trust in you, bring you into our lives. And I ask you to take that sin away. Uh, Lord, let us remember that as we go through each and every day of our lives. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Let's stand once again.
seated uh, this, this morning. Curtis, I was going to say that was a great choir special. Sing it any time, but it appears I didn't need to say that. And thank you, Tracy. All right. I wanted to take just a, a few moments to share with you a little bit of our a response from our missions and evangelism team. We met uh, about three weeks ago, and one of the things that we determined is that we wanted to include just a little something each, or, or, or maybe every other week, a little something uh, on, on occasion during the morning worship, uh, and we're going to call it a missions moment, a missions moment. And so if you see the front of your bulletin, you'll see this, this logo that's, that's on the front of your bulletin. Uh, it's, it's got four different kind of icons there, and some time ago, I, I searched the internet and, and found these logos. I thought they represented something uh, that, that I appreciate and, and, some, and, and an idea that I have for uh, discipleship. Now, it's not original with me. I borrowed it from a pastor, but I contacted that pastor, and I asked him, I said, can I use this too? And he said, by all means, but if you profit from it, just uh, send me a card or letter. So I said... And so just to refresh your memory, if you go around the circle, if you start at the top with that red-colored uh, icon, it, there's a Bible, there's a heart there with a cross in it. It represents belief. We want to make sure that everyone that's part of our church believes correctly. We want to make sure they believe that Jesus Christ came uh, to this earth, died on the cross for their sin, was resurrected, that we may have eternal life. Among other doctrines and theological matters, we want to make sure we believe correctly. And then the kind of orangish yellow, it's hard to see uh, on the screen, but uh, maybe on your, your bulletin, a little different color. But that just represents that we belong to each other. We belong together. We're a part of a fellowship. We're part of the body of Christ. And then uh, that's so globally, but also locally, we're, we're a part of this fellowship. We want you to be a part of this and feel like you are uh, a part of what's going on here, a, a member. Uh, and then the, the green leaf represents becoming, uh, that we will become like Christ. And we do that most often whenever we serve. So whenever we serve Christ, whenever we serve the church, and whenever we serve others, we are becoming like Christ. And then finally, uh, the, the blue globe-looking icon there represents bless. We expect that if you're part of our church, if you are a Christian, if you're following Christ, that you would bless others in missions and evangelism and carrying the gospel uh, here locally and to the ends of the world. Giving that as a little bit of background, I want to move into the missions moment for today. I won't always come up and share all four of those icons again, but here's our missions moment. So I just want to talk a little bit about a, a couple of trips that are already planned and, and we're, we're getting ready for next summer. So our students, all of our youth, 6th to 12th grade, are, in, are included and are invited to join us at Mfuge. Now, Mfuge is a lot like summer camp, but it has a missions emphasis. We're going to Nashville this year. We're going to stay at Belmont University. We're going to Nashville. We're going to stay there. You go, and, and you have the kind of a camp experience with a, a big worship service with all the students uh, that, that are on campus, but then you, you go into the community, and you can do a variety of, of different uh, mission opportunities to take the gospel for a few hours one day, then, and then you come back that evening and gather together and worship. We did this this past summer. Uh, and, and I just feel like it's a great opportunity to introduce missions. It's not a full-on, week-long, it's not a two-year mission trip. It's, its purpose is to introduce missions to our students. And so we want to we do that. That's June 10th through 15th. That's a little different date than we've done before. So if you're interested, make sure that you mark that date down, June 10th through 15th. And then, this is our two-year cycle. We're going back again to Quito, Ecuador. Uh, Quito, Ecuador, through Access International, which is uh, a, a division of LifeWay students. That's July 14th through 21. We're going back to Quito, and we're going to partner there with the missions. Uh, one of our students who went two years ago is, is here this morning, and so that's exciting to, to see. Well, what I love about this trip is it's, it's our current juniors and seniors who will be available to go on this trip. One of the things that, that, that I just I love about it is I go, and all the adults go on this trip, you know, all the, all the chaperones, all the sponsors, that we, we go on this trip, but we're not the ones who are leading 
We're not leading those sessions. We're not leading those ministry sites. Uh, we, we give that to them, and then our students are the ones who stood before the children and shared the Bible stories. Our students are the ones who led the children in uh, recreation. Uh, one particular day in the park, we, we gathered together and, and, we, and we prayed, and then we went out in groups of two and three and shared the gospel. And on one, on one occasion, I, I went up, and there were a couple of guys with me. We shared the gospel with a group of folks. And then the next time, I said, okay, now it's your turn. And what I, what I hear, I love this, is somebody will say, for the very first time in my life, I shared the gospel with somebody. And it not only changes the hearer, it changes the speaker. When we share the gospel, because we revisit, we revisit the cross of Christ in our own life. And so those are just a couple of, uh, a couple of mission opportunities that are, that are coming up and want you to, to be aware of that. Again, you'll hear about other missions uh, over the next years. We're, we plan to do this just to highlight some of the mission trips and some of the mission emphasis that we have uh, from our local church. All right. So if you have your Bibles, I would ask you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, I'll begin reading in verse 24. I would ask at this time, if you are able, if you would please stand in honor of reading God's word. Acts 18, verse 24. A Jew, a, a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man, was powerful in the use of the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught the things about Jesus accurately, although he knew only John's baptism. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him home and explained the way of God to him more accurately. When, they wanted to, excuse, when he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers wrote to the disciples, urging them to welcome him. After he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. Lord, we come to your house this morning and we open up your word and, and, and read what's here. This is a gift to us. May we not treat it lightly. Speak to us now and may we listen. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. So if you'll remember last week we had... We, we, we discussed Paul as, as he is rounding out his, his missionary journey, and he's been, he, he's, he's been to the church in, in Corinth, and he stayed there for quite some time, and he met these, these, this, this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. Well, here we are uh, sometime afterward, and we are introduced to a man named Apollos. Apollos. So my question is, well, what do we know about this guy? What do we know about Apollos? Now, there will be some things that are revealed throughout the New Testament, but just from these scriptures here, just from this passage here, what can we learn about Apollos? Number one, he came from a cultured city. It says he is a native Alexandrian. He came from a cultured city. The next thing is he's an educated man. It says he's an eloquent man. He's, he's an educated man, verse 24. He knew the scriptures. Again, verse 24. He taught the Christian faith. Look at verse 25. It says, this man has been instructed in the way of the Lord. So he'd been taught. Someone had, had instructed him, or maybe a group of someones had instructed him in the Christian faith. And he had an obvious gift. He had an obvious gift. It says there in verse, verse 25 that being fervent in spirit. And so it seems to me that it's very clear that the Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had gifted him. He had a spiritual gift. And he, he, and he displayed the, the fruit of the Spirit. He had an obvious gift. And then in verse 25, we see also that he taught the truth accurately, and in verse 26, that he taught it passionately. So these are some of the things we can know about Apollos, that he was educated, he understood the scriptures, he, under he had been taught the things of Jesus, and that he had a gift for proclaiming the good news and teaching the truth. But one particular phrase that caught my attention one particular phrase caught my attention. It says that he is powerful in the use of the scriptures. He is powerful in the use of scriptures. And I couldn't help but think, what exactly does this mean? 
What does it mean to be powerful in the use of scriptures? Now, first of all, his scriptures would have been the Old Testament. That's what he would have had. He, the, the New Testament had not been canonized, and he didn't, didn't have those uh, yet. So that's what he's looking at. But for us, I believe we can apply today to say that not just the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well, the whole teaching of the Word of God. So what does it mean to be powerful? In the use of scriptures first of all the first thing you have to do you have to know the scriptures you have to know the scriptures this comes through a variety of ways but first of all and primarily it comes through study and I would say beginning with personal study you have a personal time of study and devotion each day you, you spend time in in God's Word 2nd Timothy 2 15 says to study and show yourself approved Study and show yourself to prove. Now, I find it interesting. I find it interesting that uh, Timothy uses the word, that, that the word that's used there in Timothy is study. And let's be careful that we don't substitute the word read. Now, do we read the scriptures? Absolutely. But we don't just read them, fold them up, and put them on the shelf. To study means that there's something deeper. There's something more there. Uh, we don't just read it and then check it off that we've done our duty for the day. Listen at, listen at the very first psalm. Psalm 1 says, How happy is a man who does not follow the advice of the wicked or take, or take the path of sinners or join a group of mockers. Instead, now listen, instead his delight is in the instruction of the Lord and he meditates on it, he meditates on it day and night. He meditates on it day and night. And then verse 3 says what will happen to the man that meditates on the, on the Lord's scriptures. Verse 3, he's like a tree planted beside streams of water that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. You see, the one that studies God's word has deep roots, strong roots, and is not easily swayed, and he bears fruit. It is good to study God's word. I believe also it's important to do to at least attempt to memorize God's word. Place them in your head and in your heart. Uh, and there will be times when you've got nothing else. You've got nothing else except you go back and you think about those scriptures that you've committed to memory. There was a sweet, dear lady in, in my previous church who had gone, uh, she had she'd gone to the hospital. She was in her 90s. She was in the hospital, and she had been in the hospital for three days, and uh, she had some, some vision problems, and so she couldn't see to read her Bible. Uh, and so... She, she called the church and asked for any and all, this will tell you how long ago it was, any and all tapes, any and all tapes that we had of, of preaching because, listen, she said, I've already reviewed all the scriptures I have in my heart. And I didn't get the idea that she had one verse and repeated it for three days. In my mind, I thought, it's taken her three days to review all the scripture that she has memorized. I want to be like that. Man, I want to be like that I have, so I have scripture. That, it's, that, that if I don't have a Bible in front of me, I can go back to God's word. And I love that. So, so we strive to, to memorize it. And I know that for some, it's, that's a little bit easier process. For some, it's a little bit of a struggle. I promise you, you'll be blessed if you make that attempt. I promise you'll be blessed. Where do we start? Pick a verse. Pick a verse. I have some resources too. You find, find a verse of scripture that's... that's powerful in your life right now if it's powerful in your life right now if it's speaking to a moment in your life I believe it comes a little easier another way that I have described this with with teenagers is, is this so you're, you're preparing uh, a nice may, maybe maybe you're getting ready to have a nice steak a nice a nice meal and I know it's hard to talk about food when it's almost lunchtime but if you take a nice cut of beef and you take some you, your favorite marinade, and you put that marinade on 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 your slice of meat. And for those that are vegetarians, I, I'm not really sure what you do, but maybe, maybe you can maybe you can follow along with us. If you put that marinade on there, and then as soon as that happens, I take it over to the sink and I rinse it all off. It hasn't had time to permeate the meat. But you let it soak and you let it sit in that for a while. And when you take a bite of it, you taste the flavor of the marinade. And so it is with us as God's word marinates in us. And we go about our day when people encounter us 
They taste the flavor of the Lord. They taste the flavor of God's word in our lives. That's what it means to study and understand God's word. But not only that, not only do we memorize and study, and, and we study personally, we study in small groups, you can also study uh, corporately. But one of, the, one of the key things is to understand the overall story of God. This is one reason why I, I, I happen to like the Gospel Project, because it tries to walk us through it tries to walk us through the whole picture of, of, of Scripture. And we, be, we begin to see that. And listen, I want to tell you when, you, when you stop and you say, well, what is the entire focal point of Scripture? What is, what is the, the whole counsel of God's Word? And it's really hard to just to, to, to really summarize in one statement. But if I made an attempt, if I made a, a, a stab at it, it would just be this. Jesus is the focal point of all history. And indeed, of all Scripture. The story that we see in Scripture is God's redeeming man. We messed up. We messed up. And his, the, the story of Scripture is his redemption of mankind. Jesus is the focal point of all history. He's the focal point of all Scripture. Perhaps you've heard this before, but I want to make an attempt to share this with you. Jesus is the focal point of all scripture. Listen to this. In Genesis, in Genesis, Jesus is creator. He's the breath of life. Exodus is the Passover lamb. Leviticus, the high priest. In Numbers, water in the desert. Deuteronomy, he's our eagle's wings of deliverance. Joshua, the commander of the army of the Lord. Judges, he's the Lord of peace. And Ruth, he's our redeemer. First Samuel, he's the prophet, priest, and king. Second Samuel, the rock of salvation. First Kings, builder of a temple that will never fall. Second Kings, he is the reigning king. First Chronicles, son of David that is coming to rule. Second Chronicles, the king who reigns eternally. Ezra, he's the priest proclaiming freedom. And Nehemiah, the one who restores what is broken. Esther, the protector of his people. Job, the mediator between God and man. In Psalms, he is our song in the morning and in the night. In Proverbs, our wisdom our strong tower. Ecclesiastes, he gives meaning to our life. Song of Solomon, the author of faithful love. And Isaiah, he's our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And Jeremiah, the weeping Messiah. Lamentations, he assumes God's wrath for us. Amen. Ezekiel is the son of man. Daniel, he's the son of God with us in the fiery furnace. And Hosea, he is faithful even when we are not. In Joel, he's the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. Amos delivers justice to the oppressed. Obadiah, he is mighty to save. Jonah, the great missionary. Micah, he cast our sin into the sea of forgetfulness. Nahum, he proclaims future world peace. Habakkuk, he crushes injustice. And Zephaniah, he's the warrior who saves. And Haggai, he restores our worship. Zechariah, he is Lord and King over all the earth. And Malachi, the son of righteousness who brings healing. In Matthew, the Messiah, who is king. Luke, the Messiah. Who, uh, excuse me. Mark, the Messiah, who is servant. Luke, the Messiah, who is deliverer. John, the Messiah, who is God in flesh. In Acts, he's the spirit who dwells in his people. In Romans, the power of God unto salvation. 1 Corinthians, he is our conqueror over death, our resurrection. 2 Corinthians, he is the down payment of what is to come. In Galatians, he's our inheritance. In Ephesians, he's our peace at the right hand of the Father. Philippians, he's the God that supplies all our needs. Colossians, he holds the supreme position in all things. He is preeminent. 1 Thessalonians, he is our comfort in the last days. 2 Thessalonians, he's our returning king. 1 Timothy, he is our crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy, he is our Christ. Uh, he, he is Christ, our helper. In Titus, he is our hope. Philemon, he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, our high priest. James, he is the great physician. First Peter, he is our hope in times of suffering. In first, second, and third John, he is our love and our light. He is Christ come in the flesh, and he is our love in truth. In Jude, Jesus is the Lord coming with thousands of his holy ones. And in Revelation, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end, and he's coming again for his bride. He's coming again to take his church to be with him forever, and he is the one that makes all things new. 
Jesus is coming again. And when he does, there'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more death. Reign with him for all eternity. See, Jesus, Jesus is the focal point of all scripture. Jesus is the focal point of all history. Those who came before him look forward to the promise in him. Those of us who come after him, we look back and we look, we look back at him and realize his salvation. But we also look forward to his coming again and being called up with him. We must understand the scriptures. If we want to be powerful with the use of scriptures, we need to know what the Bible says. That means we open it up and we read it and we study it. And just like I said earlier, we study to show ourselves approved. But not only do we understand what is in the scriptures, we must understand how to apply the scriptures. Because the fact of the matter is, there's a lot of people in our world that know the Bible inside and out, but they don't know the author. They don't know the author. And so they'll spend an eternity in hell knowing scripture, but not knowing the author, not knowing God himself. We must know how to apply them, and this comes... First of all, from sensitivity to the Spirit. The Spirit illumines the Word for us. The Spirit guides us in sharing the Word. The Spirit will speak to us and give us a Word. And I would say that it's cultivated over time. Now, the Spirit can certainly give you something at any moment. can move however He wants to. But most often, it's cultivated over time. Over, over time spent in God's word and, and, and over time in study and over time sharing that word with other people and you learn uh, how to apply God's word to your life. You learn how to apply God's word in other situations and other people's lives. And wisdom, wisdom to know what to say and when to say it. Wisdom to know what to say and when to say it. This came about in our conversation this past Sunday night when we had our, our uh, discipleship meeting right in here. Uh, one of the things we talked about was sometimes you may know a particular doctrine or you may know a particular uh, point of, of, of theology, but it's just not the right time to share it. And, and one of the things we said was if someone has maybe a, a, a misconception of eternity, uh, maybe, maybe you've heard this said before. Maybe you've heard that when an infant dies that someone says the Lord needed another angel. That's, that's, that's not biblically correct. However, standing there at standing there at the funeral with the with the parents next to the casket is not the time to to communicate that truth. Okay, they, we need to know how and when and, and and how we share the truth of Scripture, and we're sensitive to the Spirit in that. That's just one example, but the Spirit will lead us and guide us. Uh, listen, Brennan Manning talks about his prayer life and. And he says, the word that we study, so God's word, we study that word. What does it really mean? The word we study has to be the word that we pray. The word that we study has to be the word that we pray. Look at this, look at this, this quote he, he says here. The, the word we study has to be the word we pray. My personal experience of the relentless tenderness of God came not from exegetes, theologians, and spiritual writers, but from sitting still in the presence of the living word and beseeching him to help me understand with my head and heart his written word. Then he goes on. Listen. Sheer scholarship alone cannot reveal to us the gospel of grace. We must never allow the authority of books, institutions, or leaders to replace the authority of knowing Jesus Christ personally and directly. When the religious views of others interpose between us and the primary experience of Jesus as the Christ, we become, listen, we become unconvicted and unpersuasive travel agents handing out brochures to places we have never visited. You see, we, we, we can study all we want to. We can read commentaries. We can, we can have multiple different uh, versions of the Bible and study the scriptures. But until we know the author, until we know the one behind the scripture we're missing everything 
music. Music is said to be part art and part science. There's a rhythm to it. There's, there's a meter to it. There are specific notes that are set to be played. There, there are chord structures. But there's also an art to it and knowing how to make that sound beautiful, to take all of that and make it sound beautiful. It engages both sides of the brain. But to be powerful in the scriptures, if, it, if that can be said about music, it's part science and part art. To be powerful in the scriptures, part our responsibility to open up God's word and study it. But it's also, it's also part grace in that the spirit comes in and guides and leads us. So we have a responsibility to get into God's word and study. And God works in, it, in us and moves in us in order to be powerful in the scriptures. But that's not all. That's not all. Look at verse 26. It says this, After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him home and explained the way of God to him more accurately. Well, listen, for all the good things about Apollos that, that, we've, just, that we've just mentioned, and that he was powerful in the use of scriptures, and he had a very obvious spirit, for all the good things we said about him, we see this. He knew only the baptism of John. He knew only the baptism of John. What exactly does that mean? Maybe hard to say, but I believe it's this. John's baptism was based upon repentance and preparation for the Messiah. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, repent. So perhaps he was baptized under that idea of, of repentance. But I think it's significant that Luke includes this for us. I would assume that he had not been baptized. I would assume he had not followed through with believer's baptism. That's just an assumption on my part. John Maxwell says this, he understood repentance. He understood what it meant to surrender to God. But listen, he wasn't familiar with the deeper truths of discipleship or the spirit-filled life. And so, Priscilla and Aquila pulled him aside to share those with him. Now, it doesn't say that he went through and followed through with believer's baptism, but if he didn't, it would be totally contrary to the rest of the book of Acts. What we see is a natural uh, step in our faith is to follow through with believer's baptism. What we see here is possibly Apollos' greatest character trait, and that is that he was teachable. He didn't think that he was above learning. Certainly he had accolades. One of the things we'll learn about him later is a lot of people liked his teaching better than better than Paul. Man, you want to talk about something that you could puff your chest up about? <laughs> They'd rather hear me than the Apostle Paul. So clearly he was a good teacher. Clearly he had a gift, but he wasn't above learning. And listen, I don't know if you caught this, but you probably did. Priscilla and Aquila, who are they? They are disciplers. They are disciplers. Listen, so excited about our men's ministry event this past weekend. And if, and if you missed it for whatever reason, you missed a, a, a blessing. It's what we talked about. What does it mean to be a disciple, but also what does it mean to go and make disciples? That's what's on the front of your bulletin. Go and make disciples. We're called to make disciples. One of the words that I heard over and over again this, this weekend when it comes to what it means to make disciples is the word intentionality. We don't just, it, it's not just natural, it, it, doesn't just, it doesn't just happen. I don't have to be intentional about taking a breath, that just happens. But I have to be intentional about making disciples. I have to think, God, what is it that you want me to share? Who can I pour into, but also, God, who can be pouring into my life? We have to be intentional. So go and make disciples. That is what Jesus has told us in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. And I just have a few questions for us as we follow up with this concept. Go and make disciples. Number one, who is discipling you? It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer out loud. But I want you to think, who is discipling you? Are you teachable? Would you like to be discipled? Do you have that desire for discipleship? Who is discipling you? And another thing that we talked about this past weekend 
is, and I don't know if it was said in, this, in, in, in exactly these words, but this hour on Sunday morning, it's not, it's not really discipleship. We come together here for corporate worship and for the hearing of God's word, but discipleship takes place. We have to be a little more open. We get to know each other a little bit better. And we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother who speaks into our life. Or maybe it's a friend that sticks closer than a sister who speaks into our life. And we, we speak into their life because we love each other. And we want each other to be more like Christ. Who is discipling you? But the next question, who are you discipling? Now, here's another word that comes up a lot of times. Inadequacy. Inadequacy. I remember uh, when I was in college and, and feeling like maybe God was calling me into ministry and I went and had lunch with a, with a, a, a campus pastor and I, I sat down and I remember we were in Macon, Georgia and we were, we were both eating uh, a ham sandwich. And um, so don't know why I remember that, but we were. And, and, and I was telling him this and I was telling him this and he, just, he was just eating, just kind of kept on eating. He was listening. And I said, but... I said, man, I just, I just feel so, so unworthy to be called into ministry. And he didn't even slow down, didn't even take a breath. He said, you're not. Just kept on eating. And I said, thank you. That's what I needed to hear. Are you worthy to be a disciple maker? Probably not. But that doesn't mean we're not supposed to do that. Because what, what you'll find out, I believe, is God empowers you to do what he's called you to do. And if he's called you to make disciples, he empowers you in order to do that. And the more we do that, the better we get at it, but only by the grace of God working in our life. What do we talk about? How do we do it? Just tell folks what's happening in your life. Tell folks how's the, how the God's been faithful to you. And listen to the Spirit. Go and make disciples. Who's discipling you? Who are you discipling? And number three, what is God teaching you lately? What is God teaching you lately? What do I share with someone if I'm, if I'm uh, engaged in a discipleship process? Well, I can start here. What is God teaching you lately? What is God teaching you lately? And if you don't have an answer to that question, that's another major sign that you need to be discipled. What is God teaching you lately? If I can't answer that, I really need to be engaged in a discipleship, mentor-type uh, relationship. If you do have an answer, that's another sign that you ought to be discipling someone else. That's what we're called to do. This is our calling, church, to make disciples. This is our command. Make disciples and change the world. Make disciples and change the world. Let me finish this passage with verse 27. When he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers wrote to the disciples urging them to welcome him. And after he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. This is his message. Jesus is the Messiah. What does that mean? He's the anointed one that's come down from God. If you're a Jewish, you've heard about the coming Messiah for hundreds, if not thousands of years. You've been waiting on him. And Jesus is him. He attested this with miracles. He had teachings. <clears throat> People said, by whose authority are you teaching? What authority do you have? Now listen, here's a little side note. As, as priests came up through their ranks, as, 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 they're, as they're learning and training to become priests, even as, as little boys, as they sit under the tutelage of other priests, they get to some point, and, and, and there, there's a process there, but they get to some point in which there's a group of other priests who convey upon them the authority to teach the scriptures. And once that authority has been placed on them, they now can go and teach the scriptures. So when you see this about Jesus and he's in the temple, maybe even at 12 years old teaching, and they say, by whose authority? We know he hasn't come before our council. Whose authority does he have to teach this way? <laughs> I wrote it. I ought to know what it says. But no, 
Jesus has that authority. Jesus has that authority because he's the Messiah. He's the one who's come. This is what is being taught by Apollos. You've been waiting for the Messiah to come. He's come. Not only that, not only did he come to teach and show miracles, but he came to save you from your sin. Because you can't do anything about it. And he laid down his life on the cross. He took your place and my place. And people are still alive today, this is Apollo speaking, who can testify to this. And they buried him in a tomb. And they went on a Sunday morning and he wasn't there anymore because he defeated death. And you place your faith in this man. You place your faith in this man and you too can be forgiven of your sin and have eternal life. And to the Jews, this is what you've been waiting on. And to the Greeks, this is everything you've been looking for. It's Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for, again, for, for your word and how it speaks to us. Lord, I long to be like Apollos and be able to be powerful with the scriptures. It wasn't his, it, it wasn't his articulate manner that was, that, that, was, that was pointed out. It wasn't, wasn't anything except the Holy Spirit working in him, using the word of God, and sharing that Jesus is the Messiah. Lord, we look at the we look at scripture and we see if, if, if we truly look we see Jesus all over the pages of scripture and Father today I don't know where people are in, in their heart and, and uh, maybe there's someone in here who needs to who needs to say yes Jesus is Messiah I repent of my sin and give my life to him Father, maybe someone in here is, someone in here just says, I, I trust Jesus, but I need to engage in a process of discipleship. Absolutely thrilled that this was the discussion in our men's ministry this weekend. Father, that's what we were called to do is make disciples, and that's what we ought to be doing is making disciples. So, Father, there may be a hundred other ways that you're leading your people this morning. I just pray that we would listen and we would follow and that you would be lifted up that we make Jesus' name we understand that his name is the name above all names make, make us more like Christ it's in Jesus' name I pray amen I would ask uh, if you would please stand